So we are going to continue our series of moments that matter. And today we're, we're asking the question of who are your parents? And maybe you're like me, you've gone to a, a store, you know, typically for me, it's uh, Walmart over in Waukegan, um, over there at Fountain Square. I go to Walmart over there and you ever just walk in and you see, you know, one, two, five kids just running through there like they done lost their mind. Snatching stuff off of trays, eating the food out of the fruit aisle, pulling all the toys off, actually opening up boxes. I done seen kids snatching shirts, uh, hiding, kicking mom, throwing whole tantrums. And it make you look at some kids and you be like, who, who are your parents? And why are you not with them? <laughs> or why ain't they doing something? We went to the mall <laughs> two weeks ago. So Gurney Mills has a play area in the middle of the mall. And we was having a good time, and it was packed, y'all. It was deep. Um, some of the kids got a little hot, and they just started undressing, just, in the, just <laughs> coming up off their clothes, snatching shirts off, and I, I was sitting there. <laughs> so it was four kids, okay? They all siblings. Three of them decided to take their shirts off because they hot. They mad at the fourth one because he won't do it. So they're literally chasing him through the park, trying to pull his shirt off. And I'm like, where's your mama? Why are y'all letting this happen? But have you ever asked that question, who are your parents? There's a reason why we ask this. Because see, kids, when they come here, when they're born, they're born into a world that they know absolutely nothing about. They don't know how this works. They don't know nothing about manners. They don't know anything about how you should be and how you should act and what you should and shouldn't say. They come into the world a blank slate, and if you leave it up to kids, they will do anything at any time. This is why you can't leave it up to kids. I want to help you understand. So anybody here ever uh, had a gym membership? I didn't say you used it. I said you had one. <laughs> And I don't know, sometimes it's intimidating. You go to the gym, and I want you to imagine that the gym is life. You walk into this place as a child coming into the world, you got this whole big, huge building that are full of stuff to work with, play with, mess with, lift, jump on, but you don't have a clue of what you're doing. And this is how kids are in the world. So I want to I help you, give you a visual. Katie, let's throw the video of what happens when, when grown folks go into the gym and don't have a clue of what they're doing. children look navigating the world on their own. They in the gym looking crazy and think they getting stuff accomplished. Thinking they look good. Thinking this is what, this is the outcome they want. Did you see one guy put the bar in his teeth with a towel? Biting on it, turning it? Now y'all know that's how you get a bowler. For anybody that's wondering, that's how you catch, your, that's how you catch stuff. <laughs> 
This is how children look trying to navigate life without a personal trainer in the gym to help you navigate the equipment. You might look like this. So starting out, the first thing I need you to know today is that children need every child needs a personal trainer. They need somebody that's going to come alongside them. And see, the Bible has a scripture. I want to make sure I give you this here where it says in Proverbs 22 and 6, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Someone has to be present to train or to teach a child how to navigate the weights of life. That word train in the original Greek, it means to narrow, to discipline, to narrow the options of. And I don't know about y'all, but uh, if you've been around any children, you better narrow the options. Yeah. Oh, no, you don't get all these choices. Because yeah. if I leave it up to you to eat whatever you want to eat, you'll eat M&Ms and cotton candy all day, every day. If I leave it up to you, you'll just walk outside by yourself in the middle of winter with nothing but a diaper on. If I leave it up to you, you will do things that will lead to your death, that will lead to your harm, that will lead to you getting kidnapped, that will lead to you being severely injured. You ever see them kids that just jump off of stuff? Daddy, catch me. Whoa. I'm glad daddy got good reflexes. Because there's, there's a, a lack of knowledge, a lack of understanding, even a lack of healthy fear that children have that will get them into all kinds of problems. And this is why our children need a personal trainer. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 22 that foolishness is bound up in the heart of children. But then it says, but correction. We'll remove it far from them. <laughs> Kids come here doing dumb, foolish stuff because they don't know any better. And it's our job as their personal trainers to correct them, to help them understand the right way to do things. Now, here's something to remember. For anybody that did have that gym membership and you went and used it and maybe you went a step further, you actually hired a personal trainer. A good personal trainer is not there to be your friend. A good personal trainer don't really care if you like them that much. Their goal is to get you to your goals. If you like them along the way, that's great. And if you don't, that's fine too. And if they really doing it well, if they really doing what they supposed to do, you probably gonna have some days where you hate them. And can I make it more honest? If you really parent the way God wants you to and you really train your children the way God wants you to it's going to be some days they're going to hate you because you're going to hold them accountable you're going to discipline them you're going to narrow their options your personal trainer is there to help you know what to do when to do it they're there to show you proper form, proper balance. They are there to help you become a healthier and stronger you. Parents, for your children, you are to serve the same purposes. You're supposed to be there to show them what to do and what not to do. You're supposed to show them proper form. Here's how you stand strong in this situation. Here's something you might want to stay away from. Hey, this isn't part of your workout plan right now. 
That diet that you have, the things that you're eating, you might want to put some of those down if you want the results that you really desire. That's what we as parents are here to do. We're here to help our children become stronger and healthier so that they can have the impact on the world that God really wants for them. Now, I remember back in the day, I decided I, I was going to try to get in shape, y'all. So um, I had a, a good friend of mine. Now, me, my cousin Jerry, decided to talk to him. His name was Stanley. And uh, Stanley was, man, a real good friend of mine. We hung out all the time, and we talked about, you know, when we, this summer, you know, I don't know what it is about summertime. Everybody want to try to get their little summer body together. Uh, we decided that was what we wanted to try to do, okay? So we talked to Stanley, who happened to be a, <laughs> a physical trainer for the United States military. <laughs> right over here at the Naval Base, Grace Lakes Naval Base. And he, you know, that man would be up 4.30 over there lifting everything in the gym. And we're like, well, we know you know what you're doing, so like, would you, would you like give us some, some small training sessions? He's like, yeah, you know, so starting Monday, you know, I want you to meet me over there at the Naval Base, meet me over there at 5.30 a.m., we gonna go work out, you know, I'm gonna run you through some stuff and get you all together, you know, so we can get our little summer body together, right? Y'all, we went to the, the base. That man tried to kill us. He tried to, like, literally, I really thought, I thought the devil himself had inhabited Stanley's body and was trying to kill me. I hated that man. By the end of that workout session, he was yelling at us. He was screaming in our face. I'm like, first of all, this is my first time, yo. Are you screaming at Like, why are you screaming? Bro, if I can't lift it again, why are you screaming? <laughs> you know, I'm sitting there, my arms shaking. I'm saying, <laughs> no, pick it up, pick it up. You can get it up. I want you to imagine if your wife was under a car, would you lift it? I'm like, but she not. <laughs> she ain't under no car, man. Why are you life and death in this? Like. Ain't nobody dying because I can't get this up one more time. Like, bro was crazy. Every day, I hated him a little more. He drove us nuts. You about to pass out. And he told me, some, give me two more. <laughs> two more what? I'm about to die. Give you two more? And he'd be in your face. Come on, give me two more. And you feel <laughs> your blood pressure rising, sweat is pouring off, you mad, you angry, he's screaming, you tired. And before you know it, you didn't gain a man two more. And I remember him looking at me and he was like, you didn't think you could do it. And this is why you shouldn't go working out by yourself. Because you'll stop when you get uncomfortable. But sometimes you need somebody with you to help push you through what's uncomfortable so that you can do more than you even thought you could do. Oh, I was angry because he was right. We stuck with it for a good three and a half months. He killed us <laughs> daily. But we saw increases in strength. The first week and a half, we could not breathe. You ever have somebody talking crazy to you and you want to say stuff like your brain is responding, but you, 
okay, I got to save this air. I can't be fussing at you. Oh, I knew stuff was changing for the better when about three weeks in, he said something slick to me, and I pushed that thing up and said, if you don't quit talking to me. And I'm like, did I just respond back and lift? <laughs> when we can start talking trash back, when you start seeing the things that you desired start coming into fruition. And this is what we want for our children. We want to see them grow. We're going to have to get into their faces. We're going to have to push them through uncomfortable situations. We're going to have to challenge them to do things they don't even think they could do or was possible. And this is what God has called us to. We have to teach them how to obey how to manage their emotions, teach them how the world works, teach them how to maintain proper balance. Yes, I want you to work hard. I also want you to love hard. Yes, I want you to accomplish incredible things, but I don't want it to cost you your family. We're teaching them balance. We're teaching them proper form. We're teaching them all the things that they need to know to become a healthier and stronger person to be able to deal with the weight of life. Now, before I get into the three things that I really want you all to know, because I know it's Mother's Day, I know it's some crockpots cooking, I know it's some folks got some plans. It's a whole lot of mamas ain't even here because daddy done decided you got breakfast in bed or we going out somewhere or whatever. That's cool. And we're not going to hold you all long today. But I want to give a quick warning to my fathers that are in this room. I know it's Mother's Day. But I have to talk to you for just a moment and you need to recognize the importance of your place in this relationship with your child. In Colossians chapter three, verse 21, it says, fathers, do not provoke or irritate or exasperate, which means intensely frustrate your children. What I love is that it spells it out. It says with demands that are trivial or unreasonable or humiliating or abusive, nor by favoritism or indifference, treat them tenderly with loving kindness. It says so that they will not lose heart and become discouraged or unmotivated. Fathers, there's a reason the Bible doesn't tell this to mothers. I'm going to let that sit for a second. There's a reason why the Bible isn't telling moms you should treat your children more with loving kindness. That typically comes a lot easier for them. It's rare that you hear about a mama giving up on her child. It happens, but it's rare. And even when you come across those rare occasions, you be like, what's wrong with her? How you quit on your kid? You his mama. Now, her kid had been to jail 73 times. He got a record sheet longer than both his arms. Mama is still there because mamas don't quit. They don't give up. You get in trouble one time and try to call daddy. He like, I ain't answering that phone. That boy done did it. He got to pay the time for the crime. <laughs> Father's tree folks completely different. You fall over. Think you really hurt? Daddy, my arm. Oh, boy, get up, shake it off. You good. <laughs> I catch myself doing this at home, y'all. I'll, <laughs> I'll be at home with Naomi. She do some stuff. I'm like, man, I look like that hurt. Come on, get up. <laughs> get up. <laughs> Mama, come. Oh, my baby, come We just different. Mama, celebrate everything that you do. 
No matter what it is, no matter how small it is, she putting up all of your photos on the refrigerator, all of your little drawings that can't nobody read or understand. She happy about it. You bring it to daddy, he like, oh, this is this is great. Okay, let me put it over here with the rest of them. All right, now what we doing? What we eating? <laughs> we just made different, y'all. Dads, it's a lot easier for us to put unrealistic expectations on our children or to try to make them reach certain heights before we acknowledge the gifting or acknowledge the success. We make things hard, and it's the reason why we, they need some of that, but not to the point of frustration, not to the point of aggravation, not to the point of breaking their spirit, because they're going to need some of that for life. The Bible is really clear with us men that we play an important role in the lives of our family. It's funny, again, the Bible only tells men, here, love your children with loving kindness. Also in Ephesians 5, it says, husbands, love your wives. Now, I don't tell wives to love their husbands. Because God knows that we have a problem when it comes down to unconditional love. So he's warning us here. So there are there's something specifically inherent in us that we need to be aware of. And I want to show you a couple of things and give you some statistics of what happens to children generally when a dad decides not to be in a child's life. Can we show that first? This is the National Fatherhood Initiative, and they came up with this information here based on studies when a father chooses or is absent in a child's life. And I'm not saying he has to live in the home. There's a lot of dual family homes. But when a father decides I'm not going to be in my child's life, you put that child at four times greater risk of poverty. That kid is more likely to have behavioral problems, two times greater risk of infant mortality, more likely to commit crime, more likely to go to prison, seven times more likely to become pregnant as a teenager, more likely to face abuse and neglect, more likely to abuse drugs and alcohol, two times more likely to suffer obesity, and two times more likely to drop out of school. Fathers, you are important. Mothers, if they have a good father, whether you like them or not, it's in your child's best interest to have him in their lives. Amen. Amen. I know it's quiet on that one. Amen. Because sometimes we get our personal problems mixed up into raising this child. And because the two of y'all didn't get along does not mean that we have to tear up everything for this kid too. Amen. But I want to show you what happens when a father chooses to be a part of his kids life. Let's go to the next one here. Your child is at a lower risk of infant mortality, low birth rate, emotional and behavioral problems, neglect and abuse. They're less likely to suffer injury, less likely to deal with obesity, to deal with poor school performance, less likely to become part of teen pregnancy statistics, incarceration as juveniles, alcohol and substance abuse, criminal activity, less likely to commit suicide. By simply being present, being available, making time, treating them with loving kindness. You know, we talk about the Bible being truth and God gives us his word. But the studies back up what the Bible has told us. Fathers, don't frustrate 
or exasperate your children. And you can do that whether you're in the home or not. Do you understand that your presence, you not choosing to be a part of that kid's life is enough that can send them over the edge. That can break a child's spirit because that kid will grow up wondering why my daddy don't love me. Why don't he want me? What's wrong with me? Something must be wrong with me if my own daddy doesn't love me. That should be the last thing you ever want a child to have to ask is why doesn't my daddy love me? Amen. So those are my caveats before we jump into this. So here's what we want to do. We want to look at Jesus and just simply ask Jesus, how would you want us to treat our children? We know that Jesus never physically had children of his own. But I believe there's a passage that gives us insight into what Jesus would do, what he did do and what he would expect out of us in regards to taking care of our kids. In Mark chapter 10, verse 13. It says one day some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could touch and bless them. But the disciples scolded the parents for bothering him. When Jesus saw what was happening, he was angry with his disciples and he said to them, let the children come to me. Don't stop them for the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. I tell you the truth. Anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. Then he took the children in his arms and placed his hands on their heads and he blessed them. I love the fact that he says that anybody who doesn't receive the children of God, the kingdom of God, like a child. See, children will believe anything. Oh, you can tell a child, you can tell a child anything. They'll believe it. Santa Claus is real. They'll believe it. You can tell them at the end of that rainbow is a pot of gold. They will get up and go looking. We got to go to the rainbow, daddy. It's money. (laughs) You can tell a child that the moon is made out of cheese and they'll want to bite it. You can tell. So I did this, y'all, and I'm going to tell on myself. My my nephew, uh, I used to give him just crazy answers just because that brother would talk so much as a kid. My God, I was like, will you stop talking? So he would ask me questions like rapid fire. And after a while, my patience would run out and I just answer whatever, anything. Just leave me alone. Anything. He asked me 15 questions and then he hit me with Uncle Jay. And I'm like, what, boy, what? Uncle Jay, uh, when I'm drinking chocolate milk, where does chocolate milk come from? I said, brother, chocolate milk come from black cows. Leave me alone. About three days later, I got a phone call. <laughs> uh, my sister called me and she was like, um, can I ask you something? You know what I'm thinking? It's any of a million things. And she was like, uh, did you tell my son that chocolate milk come from black cows? <laughs> I was like, I would neither confirm nor deny that I did say something like that. Why? 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 She was like, apparently he went to school <laughs> and got into an argument with his teacher about where chocolate milk comes from. And he told his teacher, no, chocolate milk does not come from the store. Chocolate milk comes from black cows. My uncle told me so, and he wouldn't lie. (laughs) So uh, you can tell kids anything. And they will take your word for it. They will stand on it. They will fight for it. They will argue with people that actually know the truth about it. 
God says, will you be like a child and accept what I'm saying about the kingdom is true? Will you believe what I'm saying about something that you have not yet seen, but that I'm telling you is real? Will you accept my word as a child? Will you stand on it? Will you fight for it? Will you believe me and take what I'm saying at my word? He says, if you can't receive the kingdom of God as a child, you can't have it. Then Jesus did the three things that we're going to do with our children from this day forward. The three things I believe Jesus wants us to know. The first one, Jesus took them into his arms. I want to encourage everybody in this room sometime today to embrace your children. And embrace is a hug. It is creating a safe place, a space between you and them. See, embracing somebody affirms self-worth. And embrace without any word says you're important to me. I care about you. I don't want anything to happen to you. This is a safe place. I'm here for you. No words have to be even given. And embrace speaks volumes. Not just a physical embrace, but an embracing spiritually, an embracing mentally, an embracing of their lives. I'm investing into you. I care about you. I'm going to put resources into you. Embrace who they are. Embrace their gifts. If they seem to gravitate towards a certain sport or towards a certain art or towards certain things, I'm going to give you access to that. I'm embracing what I'm seeing you going after. I don't think there's enough embracing going on today. There's a physical need for touch. We know that children who are not physically embraced often many times grow up dealing with emotional complexes. I'm convinced a lot of our mental health today is because of lack of love being shown in homes. I really am. I really am. I'm convinced because we're not doing the things that children need, that children require. I remember being 25 and a friend of mine died at the age of 22. We were supposed to hang out that afternoon. I had seen him. He was at church. We was, man, we was all good friends all throughout high school. He was in the choir that day. I was on the keyboard. He was be over my house all the time. He would be one of them people. You ever had them folks come to your house? You can't get them out your house. You trying to make them leave. You trying to drop hints. You trying to help them know that it's time to go. Like he was that person that never got the hint. You just had to be like, hey, it's time you to go home. <laughs> that afternoon, he went home. And he'd had an epileptic seizure in his home and he was by himself. And when I got the call that night that he had died, I didn't believe it. You lying. There's no way. I just saw him like not even four hours ago. There's no way. Stop it. I, like, I got mad at the person called me. Hung up on him. Found out later on he really had passed and it, it shattered me. I remember being at his funeral, standing before the casket, mind blown, like, you know, when you're in your 20s, man, death ain't even part of your mindset. You're not trying. You're not even thinking about like, I'm going to die or one of my friends going to die. That's not even your thought. Standing here in front of him, I remember turning around and my mother was just there with her arms open. And it was the creation of a safe place that even as a grown man, I cried like a baby. Because her, her embrace said, I love you. 
Her embrace said, I'm here for you. Her embrace said, this is a safe place. You can be vulnerable here. I'm not going anywhere. And she never said a word. If you parent correctly, your embrace will always be a safe place for your child, no matter how old they are. I don't care if they 30, 50, 60. I got another friend of mine, that brother, 50 years old, and he still lay with his head on his mama. Mama's just a safe place. No matter what happens in life, you can always return to that embrace. Parents, specifically fathers, embrace your children. Make it normal. Let them know that no matter what comes, they can always run back into your arms. Amen. The second thing Jesus did is that he placed his hands on them. See, God used the laying on of hands to symbolize the bestowal and the transfer of blessings, of authority, of distinction. This symbolized when God was doing this or commanding his prophets or his priests to do this, it was an act designed to represent God himself setting a person apart for holy usage. Whether for service, for healing, for protection, for guidance or for a blessing. Now, here's the thing that's really interesting is that at the time, back in the historical days, during Jesus time, the religious figures, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, they actually would not touch people. They would pray for you. But they believed that touching you actually ceremonially defiled them with whatever you had been into. So physically embracing, laying hands on, those were not things that they would have done. But here is Jesus again, breaking societal norms, doing what everybody else won't do and saying, me being in your life, me embracing you, me putting my hand on you is more important than these rules. Because sometimes. Our kids just need to know that there is someone who is touching them in love. I want to ask you the question, who is touching your children? Who's laying hands on your children? Who's transferring authority? Who's setting them apart for a purpose? Who's telling them their distinction or how important they are to a specific cause? Because I'm going to tell you, if you don't do it, the world will. If you don't tell them who they are, if you don't transfer your authority, your mindset, what is right and wrong, if you're not helping them understand what honor looks like and how to operate under submission, that you don't always get to do everything you want to do. Sometimes you just got to do what you're told. Understand that laying hands on someone implies that I have something to impart to you. It teaches blessings. That when God blesses you, you should be willing to in turn bless someone else. It helps our children learn not to be selfish. That there's something greater at stake that when they have, they should also be willing to give. All through laying on of hands. And here's another thing about touching and about laying hands on our children. You have to be physically present. See, it's hard to lay hands on somebody. Well, Pastor, I want you to pray for me. I need you to lay hands on me. But if I'm not in the room, how can I do that? If I'm not where you are. We have to be physically present with our children. 
which means we're going to have to sacrifice some things. We got to sacrifice some time. We got to sacrifice some places we would want to go, some things that we want to do, some time that we would rather spend for ourselves. You're going to need to sacrifice that for your child. Are you willing to do that for them? Going to their games, showing up at their school for important functions, when great things happen, showing up and celebrating them, when they have a problem, showing up and supporting them. Who's touching your child? Who are you allowing to lay hands on your child? Who is imparting into your kids? As a parent, as their personal trainer, you should know what's going into your kid's body, what's going into your kid's mind, what's going on your kid's plates. You should be paying attention. And you can't do that if you're not present. They need us. You have children now. The cell phone is one of the worst things that ever happened to children. Amen. Kids have access to the Internet at six or seven years old. You got kids hooked on pornography by the age of nine. You got kids looking up and seeing things and learning knowledge. This is the way I equate it. The knowledge of good and evil. That tree that it was in the garden has now been transferred to the cell phone. Back in Garden of Eden, God simply said that all information that you need, you should come to me and I disseminate it to you as you need to know it. Well, the Satan devil told them, well, go eat the tree and you'll have access to everything that God knows. But the problem was they weren't ready to learn that yet. And instead of going through the proper channels and asking the right questions and having explained to them in a way that would have been beneficial, they were just exposed to a wide world of knowledge given access to anything and everything they could expose themselves to and didn't have a clue of what to do with it. That's our kids today. I heard somebody say, we got the smartest, dumbest generation ever. They got access to more knowledge than the world has ever had because they can pick up a cell phone and go to Google and look up anything. But those same children should not have access to that level of knowledge because of the damage it can and will do to them without somebody to disseminate. No, you're not ready for that. No, not till you're 15. No, not till you're 17. Matter of fact, no, not ever for this. These are our realities. And if you don't lay hands on your children, the Internet will. Social media will. They little raggedy friends at school will. Some of these little busted, broke off family members will. Some of these people that will hurt and abuse and molest will if you don't. Amen. That's a challenge here that God wants us to know. So today I want you to continue asking yourself, who is touching the life of my child? What am I doing to get them ready for the world that's coming? The last thing that Jesus did, and I'm just about done. He blessed them. It said he embraced them. He laid his hands on them. And he blessed them. Throughout the Hebrew scriptures, fathers blessed their children. We see it over and over, specifically in the Old Testament. Before a father died, he would verbally speak great things over the life of his child. Here's what you're going to be. God's favor is going to rest on you. You're going to have this. You're going to have this. God's going to prosper you in that. He would speak life. 
So in the time of Jesus, it was tradition that the fathers would bring their children to the local synagogue where the elders would join the fathers in a prayer of blessing. The traditional prayer that they would pray was that the child would become famous in the law. That meant their knowledge of scripture would increase, that they would be faithful in marriage and that they would be abundant in good works. Three incredible things. Hey, I want you to know this scripture. I want you to have a sound marriage and I want you to be abundant in doing good things for other people. This was how they would bless them and they would speak well over that child. They would speak life because they desired to see these things come into fruition over the course of this child's life. When's the last time you blessed your child? When's the last time you just spoke life over them? Told them they're beautiful. Told them they're handsome. Told them they're smart. Told them they're brilliant. Told them, hey, you can do anything. You know what? You're going to be better than daddy. You're going to be better than daddy. Matter of fact, there's nothing you can do. You can do anything you want to do. You become whatever you want to be. Wherever you want to go, there's a world waiting for you. What if we took the limits off of our kids' minds as a child? What if when they came to you with stuff that seems impossible, instead of telling them that's impossible, you told them you're going to be the first one to ever do it too? Because everything that has ever been done in the world, somebody did it first. What if we encourage them to continue being creative? To continue challenging the status quo? You want to get some advice for your life? Ask your child. They have zero filter. The world is very simple and easy, and they will look at you and be like, well, just stop doing that, Daddy. <laughs> they will call it out as they see it. Solutions are easy. No problem for them to do it. This is what many kids have killed in them at a young age. And then they grow up into adults with no sense of creativity. That find it hard to relate to the ultimate creator because we had creativity stomped out in us. That think living a regular old boring life is the way to go about it. When God created you to live life like a child and to receive his kingdom, to believe his word and to see the impossible things become possible. There was a church that I read about that would actually bring their children up to pray over people that were sick. Because they noticed more healings happen. You tell a kid you pray for Jesus to heal him, the kid is like, OK, <laughs> be healed in Jesus name. And it's 100 percent faith filled because life hasn't taught them to be disappointed yet. They believe that if God said he can do it, he will. Bless your children. Speak well of them. Tell them that they're loved. Tell them that they're special. Tell them whose they are. Tell them you belong to me. And you're the best thing that ever happened to me. You my child. You my daughter. You're my son. And I love you. Tell them mommy going to be here for you for life. Daddy ain't never going anywhere until Jesus take him. I will always be here. Speak life into them. 
Anytime you need something, come back and see me. I got you. It's a blessing when you bless them and they start blessing you back. We have a thing in our house. My daughter is, you know, I tell you all the time, she, she like me. We got issues. Um, I get frustrated quick and easy. She does, too. And something that I was taught growing up was we, we, we don't quit. We were just taught that. You don't quit. You don't say can't. You don't say couldn't. You say I'm working on it. You say I'm, I'm going to figure it out. You say I need help. But you don't say I quit. We don't give up. So I've been drilling that into her for, you know, three years. What is the age of five? Oh, she blessing me back. I get frustrated. I get upset in my house. Oh, I quit. Daddy, we don't say quit. <laughs> you're right, baby. You're right. We don't quit. We don't quit, Daddy. Remember, English is don't quit. Got you. You're right. Daddy just going to take a break for a minute. <laughs> and when you're sowing into your children, the Bible says whatever you reap, that shall you also, whatever you sow, that shall you also reap. When you're sowing blessings into your child, you're sowing embrace, you're, show, you're sowing I'm touching your life. In turn, over time, they will begin doing the same for you. They will bless you through their words. They will bless you through their embrace. They will bless you by touching your life, by doing things saying things and accomplishing things that bring a level of happiness to you that no money could buy. They are the ultimate gift that will keep giving if you give to them first. They show up here as a blank slate and God invites us to be their personal trainer through life so that they can become stronger, healthier individuals and accomplish what he's called them to. And I know for me, I can't think of any better blessing than for our children, the people that we spend the most time on, the folks we cry about the most, the folks that we put the most effort and energy into, the people that we spend, God knows, the most amount of money on, the ones we sacrifice for the most, the ones that we would die today for, when they grow up and start accomplishing life in a way that brings honor to you so that other parents are looking at their lives and they're asking that question I asked at the beginning of this message, who are their parents? Because see, when I first opened this up, I said it in a way that y'all know. I didn't really want to know who their parents were. Because <laughs> I'm ready to beat them and their parents. <laughs> But when your kid is accomplishing life and living in their purpose and navigating the world and the weights that come with it in a way that brings honor, not just to them, but to those around them, people will then ask, who are their parents? Who raised you to be like this? Why do you love the way you love? Why do you believe in Jesus the way you do? Why won't you quit? Why won't you give up? Why do you have a smile on your face? How did you accomplish that? How did you come up with that? Why are you so creative? Who are their parents? You, as their parent, you are their number one teacher. For right or for wrong, they're going to learn their most important lessons from us. 
I want to challenge every parent in this room. Starting today, if you don't, if you're already a great parent, hallelujah, praise God, continue being that. But if you know there's some space, there's some gaps that need to be filled, I'm encouraging you today, embrace your children. I don't care who they are. I don't care what they've done. I don't care what's in their background. I don't care how old they are, how young they are. Hug them. Express your affection for them. Encourage them. Touch their lives through your words and your actions. Create a safe place for them that they know no matter what happens, you can always come here. My arms are always open for you. Why? Because that's what Jesus does for me. Starting today, think of ways to bless your child. Some of you need to change your thought process so what comes out of your mind and out of your mouth will be something different. Speak life into them. Tell them who they are. Tell them what you expect them to become. Encourage them to be amazing, to be great, to be incredible. Don't kill their dreams. You don't know which one of those dreams might one day save your life. You don't know which one of them things might grow up and one day buy you a home. You don't know which one of them things might grow up and not put you in one. I love watching football and seeing these big, huge 330-pound men stomping on folks' faces and knocking people out and out there just being brutal. And then run up to the camera, hi, mom. Hey, mommy. Dad, we made it, bro. We made it. Because there's something about relationship with your parents when it's been good. That all you can think about is how can I repay them for what they did for me? How can I love them the way that they love me? How can I affirm them? How can I make them happy? How can I bring a smile to their face? How can I take care of them? How can I resource them? How do I make their lives easier? Because when you get to a certain age, you start realizing that's what they did for me. So parents, today's the day. Love your kids. Hug them. Embarrass them. Kiss on them till they beg you to stop and then give them another one. <laughs> Show up at their schools and tackle them in the hallway and just give them a bear hug. Make them mad at you. Who cares? If you're going to be mad at me, you're going to be mad at me because I loved you too much. I'll take it. Amen. You will not say I was not a part of your life. You will not say you weren't loved. I know you won't say that. Now, you might say you was embarrassed. <laughs> Show up at their games. Have a sign. That's my baby. Wear a crazy outfit so everybody know you their parent. Because these are the memories they're going to have one day when you're no longer present. These are the things they'll remember. These are the things that will bring a smile to their face on days when all they want to do is lay in bed and cry. When they miss you. When they can remember a special moment or special times or traditions of every Friday we do this or every month or every year we did this. Make those moments. This is how we raise up a generation that does know Christ and is willing to serve not just themselves, but other people. Because we have to be the examples first. And we need people who don't mind loving on folks, 
who can have some patience, who can express, hey, this is some of the stupidity that I did. Avoid this. <laughs> and here's how you avoid it. Oh, you didn't avoid it. You went and did it anyway. Well, you know what? I'm still not leaving you. I'm going to walk you through this. Here's how I got out of it after I did it. <laughs> we can't give up on them. Because every kid needs to be embraced. Every kid needs someone pouring into their life. And every kid needs somebody to tell them that you can do anything as long as you have Jesus Christ in your life.